Warning, this episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Mike Williams. Mike is an outstanding trumpet player and educator. After playing at the world-famous North Texas State 1 o'clock band, Mike held down the lead trumpet chair in the Count Basie Orchestra for an amazing 31-year run. Mike is on the cutting edge of music education and is on the faculty for a trend-setting online Masters of Jazz performance program. Mike is a road dog and a swamp dog, and his cooking is just as hot and tasty as his playing. So pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. Welcome to this episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang, and I am hanging today with the one and only Mr. Mike Williams. What's up, Mike? You, baby. You. <laughs> we all know what's up, right? Ah, uh, well, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> we know what's down. The price of gas is down, believe it or not. So, uh, couldn't believe us that the gas station the other day is like less than $2. First time I've seen that in a long time. Well, here it's, I paid one seventeen yesterday for the, uh, for the gas for the log splitter, those who know what I've been doing for the last four days. And it's kind of high up here. So my neck, I'm in the Detroit area, you know, but where I'm from in Louisiana, it's always like 50 cents cheaper, but I don't think it's 50 cents cheaper. <laughs> well, we're going to be hanging today. We're going to be talking all kinds of stuff. So, uh, and in keeping with tradition, uh, I have my uh, hang juice today. Today I have a wonderful... Uh, uh, my own version of a Manhattan. I'm shy of any ingredients, so I'm just having a little bourbon and uh, cherry here. And Mike has got a uh, king size uh, water. Coffee. Coffee. Ah. Yeah, it's. Um, I have to. Uh, after this is over, I have to go be chef, daddy, and uh, the French maid. I have to put on my little French maid uniform and clean the kitchen and. Cook some salmon and asparagus and potatoes because I'm on, on Spaceship Williams, as we call it. Um, it's a schoolyard, too, in the middle of the house because we got the two kids, kindergarten and the uh, fourth grade. And then Amanda, she's a trumpet player, those who know her, but she's in GM and she's not going back to work. So it's 24-7 us, you know. And since we're in Michigan and the weather just sucks, basically, and if it's good weather, the weather doesn't let you know it's coming, but it'll come and stay long enough for you to pack your car up, then it's going to rain or something. Mm. So, yep, I hear you, man. I hear you. So, you, you're so the kids don't even want to go out. They just, they've given up. Yeah, I, well, I, I don't know. Blame the them, so I, Daddy. Yeah. So, you're, 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 uh, you're splitting logs, you're uh, cooking. You're teaching trumpet lessons. What what else can you do? Clean house. Clean house. Okay. Yeah, but I, I try to get everybody else to join in, and uh, yeah, we took down nine big trees, six huge silver maples. A couple of them were a hundred years old, so we have between fifteen and twenty tons of sixteen-inch blocks in the yard and uh i bought a 
It's a thousand dollar log splitter. And I, I split wood and uh, the kids and the Amanda, they stack wood. So, you know, that's what we got so far in the backyard. Wow. And the garage is already loaded up with two cords of wood. After it's all over, well, so far, we think we have six cords of wood. And I don't think we're halfway through yet. The front yard, it doesn't look like I've even put a dent in it. So I do that a lot. But after four days of doing that, I picked up the horn today. Man, it was a lot easier to play. (laughs) Not, Not feeling so heavy. The exercise hasn't been on the front burner. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, with, if, if you if you need something to do with that wood, I think you can sell it to Terry Walburton to make some more of those uh, woody mutes of his. Terry said, send me a piece of maple and I'll make you a, a woody out of your own yard, you know? And I'm thinking, oh, he's too busy for that. Yeah, well, he's always busy. So anyway, Mike, um, you are... You're you're a fascinating dude, you know. Uh, I think the first time I met you was uh, ITG in Anaheim. Uh, That's like when we we really kind of got to hang out a little bit. And uh, uh, you were over at the P. Moriat booth uh, with with Adam. And, uh, of course, Officer Tommy was there. And uh, I know police. The high note police is is officer is officer Tommy going to make a guest appearance today? That's the question. No, no, unfortunately. <laughs> Some of his kin folks are going to end up in Wacamole tonight to go along with the salmon. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's a sacrifice that we all must make at some point. But uh, yeah, we got we got a really great chance to hang. I enjoyed uh, just uh, all the silliness that went on <laughs> there, and. Uh, yeah, it, it, I I think that uh, I I began to learn more about you, and of course, doing research uh, to prep for this, uh, I did check your criminal history, and I'll I'll keep those things uh, buried for yeah, shh, shh, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, you're a man. Like I guess you're a man of many talents. Besides being uh, you know a great lead trumpet player, I mean, you spent what thirty one years on the Basie Band. Thirty one years. Uh... 31 years. Yeah, it was great. Um, and and I've, I've told everybody, and I never subbed out once. Well, actually, that's true. I never subbed out. But about 20 years ago, I thought I was going to quit the band and get married and have life after Basie. So I quit. Roger Ingram came in for me. And um, after I found out about a month later, that that was the biggest mistake in my life. Um, I missed a summer, and they didn't work much. I probably missed two weeks of work. I mm-hmm. called Roger and said, hey, Roger, you know, Harry's coming out with Pajama Game on Broadway. He's going to want you there. You're going to want to be there, and I want my gig back, so let's just call it even and get back on with our lives. So Roger said, okay. So, yeah, that was the only time, and, and I, I never subbed out. Any other yeah. games? Of course, I probably uh, missed a set or two because of airlines not getting places on time. You know. Yeah, yeah, I, that's amazing. That's a that's a fantastic run, and 
I'm sure I'm sure you have tons of stories related to <laughs> to the shows and and some great stuff. I mean, uh, you played with a lot of great people. I mean, who were some of the other cats that that you played with back in those days? Yeah, back in those days, that's a good way to put it. I and my contemporaries from North Texas, when I was there, like like it was what you know, thirty five, <clears throat> thirty three years ago. It was a great bunch of cats. And we all that did stuff after North Texas caught the tail end of the tail end of a big thing. Everybody was still alive, you know. Uh, as soon as I got on the Basie band, um, immediately we started working with Diane Sure, Well, she's, she's still around, you know, the, uh, the, the thing they did with the uh, she did with the Basie band, right? With that Byron Stripling played lead on. Well, I I went in and we did that a lot. We were working with Tony Bennett a lot. Uh, Sarah Vaughn was just, you know, sass. Which yeah, she knew everybody. We we worked so much. You know, we were going to Japan. We did stuff all over America. Uh, uh, Ella Fitzgerald. We uh, worked with her, not too often, but it was still back back then like you were talking about the first 15 years the second 15 years was really wound down you know uh, we we were out there for uh we did 40 weeks a year uh on a big year and it was 30 weeks and then it got to be about 25 weeks a year and then 15 years after i got on it started really getting erratic you know right it's also to being on the road but back to your original uh, when I got on the band, we, we did a we did a Grammy thing with a uh, George Benson. I think it was called the Big Boss Band, featuring the Count Basie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Got a Grammy out for that one, and uh, so we worked with him a lot on that, and that was fun because the arrangements were great, man. Frank Foster, and uh, that stuff, and uh, uh, European tours with george benson and uh japan i don't remember we, yeah we yeah i think we did japan also but the, back then he one, one good thing about being on the band that kind of a band back in the uh late 80s and through the 90s those european festivals in the summer you know those things everybody was still alive you go to those festivals and you were hanging with everybody yeah nice Six summers in a row, you know, for the JBC Jazz Festival. George Ween was still king over there. And after we do the thing at Nice, you know, the uh, during the day, you go back to the, it's the Hotel Ebola now. I think it was the Beach Regency right on the Mediterranean in Nice back then. The hang was going to happen. When it was over, it was elbow to elbow in the lobby of this giant hotel and everybody was there. And there'd be a, a jam session and uh, the bar was packed and it was the absolute best, you know, everybody, you know, uh, John Faddis, I'm just having some pictures of people. I remember Kenny G coming in one night and saying this, this was pretty funny. Which one is Frank Foster? <laughs> we all got a laugh out of that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's great. And, and, and that's the, uh, 
that's part of the reason why I started this podcast is because, you know, anybody who's been lucky enough to do any kind of road work or, you know, be able to, to be part of some of the bigger conventions and things that go on, um, the hang, I mean, that's where the real fun stuff is. You know, it, it, there, there is, it, yeah, great. I love going to see a concert. I love hearing people play, but I learned so much more just by hanging. You know, the, the stories and just the getting to know the people behind the scene. That's, that's where you really pick up the good stuff. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember hanging uh, at one of those in Scandinavia, at least some of the, one of those Dutch like jazz end parties. I think um, they, they, they would do this thing over there where there'd be a giant hotel and the hotel would shut down and have this giant party. With all the jazz people, they were, like I say, still alive. I remember hanging out all night long, me, Frank Foster, a couple of basic cats, until the sun come up. I think it was in Harold Jones's room or something, but it was Harold. Uh, oh, who was Ella's? Uh, I, I mean, uh, Sarah Vaughn. And Sarah Vaughn, all night long until the sun came up. I remember me and Frank. Foster walking back to the hotel. I think Dave Gibson was with us and and uh, Sass and Harold Jones and uh, um, I can't remember the, the bass player and the piano player I'm playing right now. Yeah, that was a hang. And yeah. then, back then, another big hang was with the cats on the bus. Some of the most fun times we would have was after the gig. We never did a lot of hit and runs, but after the gig, we had a ride back to the hotel that was 30 minutes, you know, had a great hang on the bus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those long travel days, like if uh, a day off on the road is a 12-hour bus ride. They call that a day off, okay? <laughs> yeah. I kind of like them. Everybody had their own thing on the bus. Everybody had their little taste of whatever, you know, and uh, it's time, you yeah. know or whatever and uh and uh we'd watch movies and a lot of people think this might be kind of funny but one of the favorite movies that we had on the the bus it was uh, blazing saddles remember that thing? well of course oh, uh, I mean, of course but all the, the racial slurs and everything in that movie it, the cast would just be dying laughing you know in the family it yeah be yeah yeah public or anything we got to a place in Boston to, to go work, and the thing wasn't over yet. Everybody stayed on the bus <laughs> when we got off to go set up. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what really great, especially when everybody was still alive, all the old timers, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think maybe that's uh, that's one of the things. It's, it's kind of interesting because now, you know, with uh, the Internet and everything, you have access to so much information. You know, you can see all these great performances by some of the, you know, the, the classic uh artist but there's just something about sitting down and talking and, and not just so much talking about the music but just talking about life because I, i'm a firm believer that music is just another method of communicating you know it's it's us sharing our story it's, it's us connecting to to one another and that's your that's your personality coming through it's not just playing the chart you know and the stuff that you get from those hangs you know when you get to know the person and you get a deeper understanding into what makes them tick you know i'm sure that that there are a lot of uh stories that 
that uh, you could share. And I'm not going to ask you to do that. But uh, I mean, you know, the statutes of limitations have not quite expired on some of these events, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, when you get to know the person, you know, you start to understand a little bit more about, you know, how they play and why they play and why they approach things the way they do because it you know it, it to be an artist it, it truly has to come from inside you so uh yeah I, I i miss the i miss the hangs man miss the hangs and those hangs especially i'm 62 so i'm not really an old timer yet but uh i used to laugh like 30 years ago uh, my first gig was on the Miller Band. It was Zoot was the leader, Dick Gerhardt. And the, the guy say, look out, man. I said, what are you talking about? Every day, it'd be the same 10 stories every day, you know. It's, and then I catch myself now in my early 60s, I'm telling the same stories. I said, it's happening to me. <laughs> but back then, listening to the old stories. And it was not hard to listen to these old timer tell where all this came from. It was not hard because they could circular talk. They never breathed and you couldn't get a word in like <laughs> you had to go somewhere and you were trapped. So you heard all of this great, all these great stories. Gerald Wilson, holy moly. He got a hold of me on one of these hangs talking about when he lived with Basie. He wrote so much for Basie back, back then in the, I think it was probably the early 40s by then. And uh, Basie wanted him to live with him just so he wouldn't go out and get into trouble, you know. Uh. So, and he talked about, he told me some stuff that made me understand the whole Basie things so much and from where he was coming from. Yeah. So, yeah, the, these, especially you get these old timers and get them to open up. And that's why I heard a lot of that stuff. These European bus rides. Oh yeah. Uh, I'll, when we'd have sometimes we'd have guests on the bus from an, other bands, and they got they would get started all night long on the bus, telling stories, and it's you just couldn't, couldn't believe half of it, but probably true, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, it, and when you said the Europeans, um, I don't know if you personally have experienced this or observed this uh i have never had the opportunity to tour in europe or anything like that but just from observation it seems that um the europeans had at, at least uh, like in the past few decades a much greater appreciation of jazz than than there was in the states and i think that's maybe why so many so many of the festivals and so many of the, the artists would end up touring over there and spending so much time over there. Then, you know, it's like we lost appreciation for our art form. I mean, the, the, the form of music that was created here in this country, you know, we, we tend to lose a little bit of appreciation from it. But uh, did you experience that? Was that something that you could confirm or deny? That's a weird phenomenon. You know, it's like jazz you can argue it, but, you know, we call it our music. You know, it, it, it started, it all started in Europe and it just did this and did that. And it came with the, the field hollers and the stomps and it, which went to the New Orleans. Mm -hmm. bump, 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 and it crept up the river, you know, and it was like, well, oh, it got to Chicago. And it would, it, it's like, we call it our music, but it, it seems so weird that other parts of the country, Japan and uh, Europe, 
seemed to to do more with it. Maybe there's a lot going on here. It's a big country, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it seems like the respect. Maybe we just take it for granted, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe so. And then it's it's a it's another lifestyle difference too, you know. We talk about the Europeans. Uh, wow, they they really like in their jazz and, and these festivals. Oh my goodness, I really miss those summer festivals. But their work schedule's different, right? Right. Just I checked, they're not grinding at it. They have a lot more days off and things like that. Seems like they have learned how to chill out more. And what better thing to chill out at a jet and then go to a jazz festival, you know? Hey, I can't think of anything better myself. And I'm uh, looking forward to the day that we can actually have another jazz festival here in the United States, any kind of music festival. I just want a gig. Uh, that's, that is just so crazy. I mean, never thought I'd see the day when, uh, you know, I couldn't go out and listen to live music, let alone go out and play live music. So, uh, there it is. Yeah, but you know, we make the best of it, I guess. So uh, anyway, um, with uh, speaking of like like making the best of it and pivoting, I didn't realize this, but you're uh, part of this uh, Masters of Music program the University of Arkansas is running. Uh, I, that for those who people who don't know about this, uh, this is a, a an online program, uh, higher education program, master's degree program in music. And uh, it, when I found out about it, I, I was kind of amazed by it. So, uh, you know, what's your experience been with uh, teaching in, in more of a virtual world, uh, and especially doing this prior to all of this nonsense that's going on? Hmm. You know, how's that been working out for you? Good. I've been an adjunct professor at the University of Arkansas in Monticello, which is in the south, uh, southeastern corner of Arkansas, due north of Monroe, Louisiana, a couple hours, a few hours. Um, I've been with, with them probably over 10 years, you know, just doing uh, online lessons with the undergraduates. And then they started this program. Oh, how long has it been? Five or six years. Okay. A Master's of Music in Jazz Studies online. Uh, two weeks residency in the summer, everything online, and then two weeks residence, residency the following summer on your way out. In that two weeks, the new crew's coming in, okay? Yeah. And, uh, and it's during the second of that week is during their high school jazz band camp. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a big experience for for everybody there, plus their classes, and then once again the hang is great, you know, uh, yeah. and uh, that's been going on good and it's been growing. You can get a master's of music and jazz studies for, I think if the going rates there it's like twelve thousand dollars is give or take, which is unheard of and financial aid available. <laughs> Hey, and uh, one person who recently got out of there was uh, one of my bassy mates, Andre Rice. <laughs> I told him about it, and he got his masters of music, and now he's uh, got a professorship uh, teaching the jazz band and some uh, a jazz 
trumpet, maybe some history stuff. Um, uh, in the Midwest, uh, west of Chicago, about four hours. I forget exactly the the, the university. Sorry, Andre. Yeah, but he got that for this this uh, degree. And the good thing about this degree, okay, and I'll try to just get to the chase, you know, you don't have to quit your day gig. And you're a band director. You don't want to go on sabbatical. You don't want to, you know, things are rolling. You want more money. You want to get that master's. You got a jazz band. You get a degree in the jazz studies. It's accredited by the NASM, which we all know is the Better Business Bureau of Schools of Music. And uh, you, you don't have to put your life on hold and go live somewhere. You know, this is great for people who have a family. If you're on the road, you can do it, you know. If, if, if you're a show guy and you got some great shows and you're every week, you're, you can do this. We had someone from uh, Air Force Band or Field Band do it this year. And they didn't have, you know, and the government paid for it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's great. I mean, it, make, it makes sense because, you know, for so many people, and I, and I was certainly one of those people, like where I was given an opportunity to, uh, uh, to go out and, and make a living playing or stay in college. And it's like, okay, well, I can either pay to play or get paid to play. So, you know, I had to make that decision between uh, what I wanted to do. So I think this is a great thing for people to be able to maintain, whether it's a teaching gig that they already have or uh, if they've got a, a, a full-time professional uh, playing career but just want to get that education. Man, this is... Uh, this is some cutting edge stuff, and it's coming out of the University of Arkansas. I mean, you would think it'd be someplace like you know UCLA or you know Berkeley or you know it's like the guy who started this is Gary Meggs. Gary, been a friend of mine for probably forty years. He taught in Texas, retired from Texas, went to Arkansas. We did did that and went to this university that had. I think they had a music degree, but they had a band, and that was pretty much all it was. It's you know, it's a forestry college, and it, well, it's it's kind of like how did the phenomenon at North Texas start, and where in the middle of nowhere? I mean, it was back then. It was just between Dallas and Fort Worth. Uh, Gene Hall, I guess, you know, kind of got that started. Leon Breeden, and then it grew into this fantastic monster. When I was at North Texas, there were 13 lab bands. There were nine lab bands and four reading bands. There was 13 big bands there, you know? Man. And it's Man. still going. Baylock has got it now. It's just tearing it up, you know? Yeah. Well, and that was actually the, the next thing I was going to ask you about was, uh, you know, going to North Texas. And obviously, yeah, there's so many great trumpet players that have come out of there, uh, particularly like the lead players, uh, you, uh, Frank Green, uh, Scott Englebright, uh, just to name a few. Um, but, uh, you know, that had to be a really interesting place to be in, you know, especially during that time, which uh, kind of, in many ways, it's kind of like the heyday, I think, of, uh, of North Texas. And, uh, you know, get, you, got, you got to study with uh, Jake, if I'm not mistaken, right? You got, got a little bit of time with, with uh, Don Jacoby. And I did. He was not affiliated with the school, but anybody at the school that was serious went down the road and studied with Jake. 
and uh, I was kind of busy. I was broke. I had to work at Arby's there. I didn't have a lot of time. So some of these phenomenal hangs at Jake's house, these parties that he would have, and, you know, Chuck Finley, Ewan Racy would fly into these parties. <laughs> I wasn't there. That's probably the biggest regret that I had have when I was there working on a master's was um, missing those Jake hangs. But uh, that was a heck of a time to be there. You're right. I think maybe like in the mid seventies when the lizard album came out, you know, um, that Lyle Mays and um, Mark Taylor was involved in that. I believe that's probably one of the most famous albums. And that, that got, that was, we worshiped that place, you know, yeah. And, uh, then when I got to go there some years later, it was a good time to be there. The one o'clock band I was in, well, Frank was there. He played lead and I played second one year and I, I played lead and he played second the following year. And uh, everybody in that band went on to do big things. You know, m- most of them had programs, their uh, jazz programs uh, all over the world, not, you know, not just in America's neck of the woods. And uh, it was the most fun I ever had that wasn't the real world. I used to, I've said that a bunch of times. I was a band director three years, high school band director, seven yeah. through 12. That was some hard work. One guy. Yeah. You know, at a north of Shreveport in near Blanchard, Northwood High School. And, uh, I quit that job after three years and said, well, I know I'm not going to be a band director. <laughs> I quit. I had no yeah. clue what I was going to do. I just sat at the house and the, the book to be or not to buy just came out. And I said, well, I guess I'll read this first. So I, I did that. And then my buddy, Jerry Kynard, who a roommate of mine at Northwestern State University in Natchitoches, where we got our uh, a bachelor's of music education. Jerry went to North Texas to get a master's and uh, said, Mike, come over here. It's great. And I said, I know it's great. I don't know if I can be there. You know, those guys are good. Shoot. I went over there. That's a, I was shaking. I was an old dude too. I was like 26 or something. I was old. Yeah. you old man. That's so funny. Steve Weist, he came right off the Maynard band straight to the one o'clock lead alto. Me, Frank Green, Steve Weiss, the sax section was everybody in there. It was just phenomenal. And uh, yeah, that was one of the greatest times of my life. Like a rebirth in your life, you know, like you hit a brick wall and then the heavens open up and that was it. Yeah, I can see that being like kind of a pivotal point because, uh, yeah, there was just so much going on, so much creativity and so much, uh, you know, drive and passion. So, yeah, you're going to either, you're either going to be caught on fire or you're going to get burned out. So I'm glad that you didn't get burned out and, you know, that that it it led to such a great career for you. So, um, Yeah, actually, you just mentioned you're from. You're originally from Shreveport. Yeah, you get back down to uh, to Louisiana much? I try to get down there 
twice a year. So, okay, I got young kids. Okay, I got a late start. Okay, I got a six-year-old girl, 10-year-old boy. A few years on my wife. But uh, my mom's still down there. And an excuse to get the, the grandkids with the mom. So I try to get down there Thanksgiving and as soon as school's out. Shoot, I, I booked a flight that said, no more school for the rest of, rest of this uh, semester. So I booked a flight. And as soon as it was time to go, things started to get kind of hot and heavy and I had to cancel, you know? Yeah. But generally I try to get down there a couple of times a year, see family and uh, old friends and get some real food. <laughs> I was going to say, you, do you, uh, when you said Thanksgiving, do you guys uh, fry your turkey? Where I come from, my mom's part of the family is a hundred acres way out in the woods. And, uh, my mom's siblings and some of the siblings' children have come out and claimed their inheritance part of that acreage. And now we have on a hundred acres, six families or six households and every household has a kitchen. So can you imagine what goes on down there during Thanksgiving? Oh my. Yeah, my brother-in-law, he said, yeah, he fries a couple of turkeys and, and uh, then I'll make something with some oysters or I even cook some squirrel gumbo one, one year. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, it's phenomenal down there as far as yeah. eating. I had a friend who uh, was, uh, his dad was a uh, professor uh, down in Baton Rouge and uh, LSU. And uh, he was was born down there, lived there most of his life, moved to Ohio when I was living in Ohio. And uh, we used to work together. And he turned me on the fried turkey and uh, and uh, jambalaya and uh, crawfish and uh, and everything. And uh, yeah, so I have a, a, a fond, fond place in my heart for good old Louisiana style cooking. Yep, the crawfish is, is the biggest thing I miss as far as the food because it ain't happening up here. Are you sure? I thought they had a lot of those in uh, in the Detroit area. Yeah, they have them shipped up from Louisiana <laughs> if they have them. Nice, nice and fresh. <laughs> oh, man, that's too good. So, uh, yeah, I, because, you know, I, I follow you on Facebook and stuff like that. I stalk you. And... Uh, you know, I, I see your your cooking, your culinary skills going on. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, honestly, I think that's if you decide that you want to give the trumpet a break, I think that should be the next thing you do is just you should just go into uh, doing some online tutorials on on how to to fry that stuff up. A few years back, I I, I like to do funny stuff, you know, on the on Facebook. No, no politics. No, get. It's funny stuff in family. I was had this thing where I was cooking and practicing at the same time. Okay, this is from this. Oh, look at these potatoes. They're doing great. <laughs> Some people said you need to have that show. <laughs> that uh, that could be it, man. That could be it. So, uh, yeah. So, like, it, the music scene that got in Shreveport, I mean, I, I'm not as familiar with, with the Shreveport area, you know. I, I know, obviously, everybody knows New Orleans, you know, and, and you know, that being the, the the epicenter of jazz, if you will, down there. 
Uh, but uh, yeah, what was the what was the music scene like in Shreveport when you were growing up in that area? Well, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of, of stuff. Okay, now back in in the old days, like maybe the the fifties and the sixties, there was a lot of those gigs. You know, those bar gigs or we call them honky tonks and this and that. There was a symphony in town and uh, and um, there might have been one or two big bands. Um, there was church gigs. There, there was a lot of stuff, you know? And, uh, <clears throat> and I, I guess probably around 1980 or whatever, it, it was legal to have uh, the gambling there. So now we got the river boats down there on the Bossier and Shreveport side of the Red River. And that was some work for some people. Um, there used to be a rehearsal band, Bill Causey, my good friend, a trumpet player in town, and uh, he was a legend down there. He's been gone for a couple of years now, and he always had like a, a big band. And when I would come off the road, Monday nights was the big band night, you know? And it paid a few bucks, but there wasn't a big music scene there. You know, one thing straight, you see, Shreveport Bossier is not near enough any really bigger uh, a metro, metropolitan area. It's just a little too far from Baton Rouge. It's a little too far from Dallas, Fort Worth. So it was kind of like in the, out there by itself to kind of fend for itself. But the musical community there, especially back in the 70s and uh, maybe a little bit earlier, was pretty strong. And the union, before Right to Work, uh, there were 600, 600 people strong. And the, the Christmas party, the union party, was legendary down there back in those days. People would fly in from all over the United States to go to that party. So that when music was happening back then a lot, a lot more. It's not not a lot happening now. But yeah. a few people who have what's what there is there, it's been consistent consistent for them. Yeah. So that does anybody else in your family uh, have any musical aptitude? I, that's assuming that you have musical aptitude, obviously, but. We all sang in the church choir. <laughs> Me and my daddy was on the back row singing the bass, and my mom and sister was up there singing alto. And uh, my dad played a little guitar back in the day, but uh, and my sister took piano lessons. And uh, so pretty much from the church, yeah. we all got it from there. Yeah, well, that seems to be like a common theme for, you know, um, for the South, you know, uh, the, the, and families that have some connection with that. I mean, I, I grew up in the, in the church as well. And um, my, my dad was a musician prior to becoming a minister. He was a minister when I was born. But uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you, if you were in a community where, uh, you know, the, you had the, the, the church, not, not, not where you went to church, but you had the church that, you know, music is such a huge part of, of the process. And, uh, you know, you, you, you like you said, you, you grew up singing, singing in the choir and 
you know, getting exposed to all that that, that good old that old time religion. Good enough for me. Good enough for me. <laughs> oh man! So uh, you said that you're going to be cooking up some salmon. What is your favorite thing to cook? I kind of like to barbecue or smoke. Hey, hey that, no, no, don't be talking about smoking nothing, man. That's this is a, this is a family show. No, it's not a family show. <laughs> Man, we got six weed stores in Lapeer. <laughs> what does a town of 20,000 people need? Six weed stores. Look at the, uh, all, those, all those cats back that went to prison for one joint or whatever, you know, and they, they get out, they get out, and, then you know, they spent like years or some years in there, and now, now all this, they're probably saying, hey, what what what's the deal, man? Can I get something back. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you say so you like to smoke, so uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, actually, I, I put out a couple of slabs of ribs. I'm gonna smoke up some ribs the next rainy day. Bought my first brisket. I've been putting it off for years. I, I know I've got to try to smoke a brisket. Think one thing. I don't have the right equipment to let something. Trust something for 17 hours, invest 40 to 60 bucks on a hunk of meat and it go go horribly wrong. But I'm going to try it out that I like to cook a gumbo. Mm. Gumbos are fun, but I like to make the expensive ones and they take all day. Got to treat it with love, you know, make the roux yourself. Uh, what's, that, yeah, that's probably my favorite deals, you know. Yeah, what's, what's your... Uh... What's your secret sauce there? In what? In your in your gumbo. The roux. The roux. <laughs> you have it, the old family, old Williams family secret. No, the Williams family, from my mom and her mom, was just country cooking, you know. And yeah, the secret sauce back then would be bacon grease. How many of you people? Saw the Folgers can. Oh, yeah. Back of the stove. Mm -hmm. Put that in there. Well, that's bacon grease, honey. Yeah. Put that on anything. And now I know why everything tastes so good, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I got a little more sophisticated and uh, now it's duck fat. For me, it's, it's all about the duck fat. I've seen that in the grocery stores now. It's like confit, confit canal. <laughs> you know? <laughs> The fat. Just give me the duck fat, man. I'm going to do that, you know. I think I'd give me some duck fat. Yeah, oh, that's sophisticated stuff right there. Yeah, that that's that that's highfalutin right there. So, but uh, yeah, well, I'm I'm looking for the big reveal on your brisket. Uh, you should uh, do a Facebook live and uh, if it's worth, if it's worth it. But you, uh, see, you see, I don't like no dry dry brisket no dry ass brisket right so uh i don't i'm not gonna trim any of the fat on i'm just gonna leave it all on the top i mean if it's thicker than that i'll shave it down to about that i'm just gonna leave it on there and let it get down there to where you don't need teeth to eat it you know oh uh, that's what i'm talking about black's barbecue out of lockhart texas probably the best barbecue i've ever been to got two kinds you know country and western the, the fatty brisket 
and then the other kind. They call it the healthy brisket. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Oh man, you know it's. Uh, I I think that you got to have some fat. I mean, that's fat and flavor, fat and flavor, man. That's where it's all at. Well, you got to moderate. Yeah, well, that's true. When you, especially when you get uh, a little bit older. Uh, you're only a couple years older than me, so uh, you know I, I I feel you. But uh, you know it's uh, I don't like lean cuts of meat. You know what's the use? Uh, exactly, it's like decaf coffee. That's right. Or non-alcoholic beer. I mean, I man, still got the last bottles in there somewhere. No. It's crazy stuff. All right. Well, here's what we're going to do next, Mike. Um, I have a, a portion of the show that uh, I call uh, the speed studies. I got this idea uh, when I was a kid, a uh, young trumpet player. I remember my teacher giving me a book called Nagel Speed Studies, and it was all these crazy whack, whack-ass fingerings that, that just made you go nuts. Yeah, I see your brain already twitching. Um, so it's just going to be a series of... <laughs> It's the high notes. It's all those high notes, man. Uh, just a, a series of questions. Uh, they're going to go all over the place. I just want you to give your quickest, most succinct response to this, considering that you're a swamp dog. It could take a lot longer than for most people. But uh, we'll see how this well, rolls. What are you talking <laughs> about? Well, one day. All right. Here's our first question. Well. <laughs> First question, and it's going to start with the trumpet world. Uh, who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? That's a musician. Doesn't have to be a musician. Just who's who's in, impacted you the most? That's that's not directly a trumpet player. Probably either one of my parents. <laughs> they taught me how to act, as we say. Okay. We'll, we'll have to talk to your mom about that one. Oh, I'm sorry, mom. <laughs> All right, what's your favorite book? Book? Okay. Okay, I mentioned it earlier. To, to Be or Not to Bop was really good because it got a lot of stories about what was going on. Uh, probably even before that, it was uh, Bird Lives. Okay. What's the worst movie you ever saw? This is so funny. <laughs> Talk about putting somebody on the spot. Some of the worst movies are the best. It would be like Plan Something from... Plan 9 from Outer Space? You're stupid. All of you are stupid. You see? Stupid. <laughs> that one? Yeah. That's the one. Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, if you weren't a trumpet player... <laughs> what would you want to do? If I weren't a trumpet player? Yeah. I have thought about that. I'm so glad I've been blessed to be a trumpet player. The cooking thing seems to be a logical thing, but I may end up hating it, to, you know, because those guys who make it, hey, it's just like making it in, in, in the, the trumpet world big time. I mean, the, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. No, you got to practice ten, 10 hours a day, you know, or whatever. You know, seriously. I don't know if I want to 
spend 80 hours a week cooking food. But I might, that, that might be something to do. I should make biscuits in this area. I thought about that, being the biscuit maker, because the biscuit sucks around here, you know? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, it's it's bad. It's bad. Well, Cracker Barrel biscuits are the best biscuits you're going to get in the area. Yeah. Well, yeah. And they're, and they're a lot better than the ones that we can get around. Oh, yeah. I hear you. All right. What is your favorite drink? Fizzy water. Fizzy water. That's me and my daughter. We we got the soda stream. We we drink that. I do too. And there's other been other kind of drinks that I have enjoyed in the past. <laughs> Once or twice. And big big this good old beer. I'm kinda, you know. There's so many calories and stuff. It actually during all this this lockdown stuff, I hadn't gained a pound. Bam, right on there. You know, and I'm not exercising either, but I'm not drinking any any bunch of beer. But I like the good old beer. You know, I like Budweiser. I like Bud for years, and, and that's switched off. And every time I switch off, bad things happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's my oh. wife. <laughs> we we don't we don't want anything bad to happen to you there, Mike. Okay, so here you go. You could have a dinner party, and you don't have to cook for this. Okay, you have a dinner party with any three living people. Who would you invite? Where do you come up with this stuff? I don't sleep any much. Three, any three living people. Any three living people. Who would I invite? Hey, this is kind of funny. I think I would probably, I think I would invite our hero Wayne Bergeron because I've never got to hang with Wayne. And uh, I think we we could like to break some bread together. It'd be, that'd be something. I mean, he popped into my head right there. Yeah. Um, and, and who else that's living well? Holy smokes. Didn't know you have to think, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You got me on that one. I have no clue. You got two two more. I know Wayne eats a lot. I can tell you that from experience. uh, There you go. That'd probably be pretty good then. (laughs) Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... Doesn't have to be a musician. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Gonna have a dinner party. Um, pass. Uh, you call the lifeline. <laughs> Pops in my head. I'll, I'll let you know. Okay. Uh, well, then we're gonna stay with the same dinner party, but we're gonna switch the guest up. Three people from history. Louis Armstrong, I know it's a musician, I'm oh, still okay. a part, right? and uh, well, 
So weird. I don't know. Daniel Boone. <laughs> <laughs> so I got Louie, uh, Daniel Boone, and who else? <laughs> you know, like, like an outdoorsman person, I've always been kind of fascinated in that kind of thing, you know? So, uh, yeah, that, I mean, Louie, because, you know, that he was the first serpent player I heard. And, uh, and um, <clears throat> maybe one more would be... Uh, Boy, I must be a boring guy. You're not boring, Mike. You're not boring at all. How about uh maybe this is where you edit, right? <laughs> uh no, there is no editing on this. <laughs> oh wow. Uh maybe um Julia Child. <laughs> God. Oh man! So so Louis. So you got pops. You got pops. You've got Daniel Boone and Julia Child. Man, that would be one hell of a dinner party. I could probably come up with a certain dish by picking each of their brains about this and that. You know. Uh, there you go. That uh, I, I'm I'm sure you could. Okay. Uh, lacquer plated or raw. I think lacquer. I went. I, I went raw, you know, for for a while. All right. What's your favorite quote? Oh, come on! My favorite quote. Well, it's kind of cliche, kind of trite. It don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing, you know. Do what? Do what? Do. Yeah. Oh well, that, that's. Does that that's go? Cool. You know, it, everything got to. If it's going good, it's swinging. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right. What is your biggest fear? Wow, fear. Standing would be crashing. Uh, on a <clears throat> on a trumpet thing, maybe not so much lead, but the feature things that I've, I've been doing more since life after Basie, you know. Uh, yeah, standing in front. What 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 about? And you got you got this thing <clears throat> and missing the high note. You know, I never miss it, the high notes. It's it be the low notes, but the biggest fear. And and I've, I've people say, well. Uh, What's your motivation? Well, and as a trumpet player, you know, our motivation is uh, can be um, just the sheer joy of playing the trumpet. When you when I hear the trumpet are live and I couldn't stand it, I would have to run to where I was, you know, even at North Texas, there's so many bands I would have to run to get there. But the, the fear, what's your, the biggest motivator, the easiest motivator? It's not because I love the trumpet or I want to learn this thing. Fear will put me right in this seat with the trumpet in my hand quicker than anything else. Yeah. Well, it's a powerful motivator, that's for sure. All right. So you could have only one superpower. What would it be?
Oh, now I'm going to get all Miss America. I would like well, if I had one super player, man, I'd be a healer. Holy moly, man, if, if we ain't got our health, you know. I'm not old yet, but they said, Mike, old ain't pretty. Old is not for the, the faint of heart. Growing old sucks. Well, why? Because, you know, this and that, you know, the, the health issues and stuff. I've been pretty lucky, but I think a healer would be, again, I had to, to be missing on you on that one. That, that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. We certainly need more of those. Okay. Um, we're going to go back into the world of trumpet. Uh, what aspect of trumpet playing do you think is the most underrated? This is really good because I've been talking to a lot of students and contemporaries about this. Uh, these underlining nuances, okay, so and what those were would be vibrato, shakes. Um, I'm going to do a, a, I've been, before the, the play kit, I was going to, get this thing about different shakes. These nuances, the vibrato, the shakes. And and of course, it's easy for me to come up with this because of all the years on the bassy band doing this stuff every night. There's a lot of bands that don't use vibrato. Well, that's their style. But a lot of bands don't use vibrato because they don't know about how to do it and the, the, pos the possibilities, the shakes. I hear a great a, a great trumpet player play and then he has to do a shake and it's like he's got a stock shake and it's just so out of character. And uh, so those nuances, the do-its, the, the boring, the fall off, all the, 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 those things that make jazz sound like jazz that a lot of people aren't doing these days. Um, I think they're, they're underrated. Uh, a lot of the, the, the band directors, high school band directors, underrate them because they don't know what to do with them, you know. Uh, so I will say the jazz, the, the jazz nuances, especially as pertaining to the big bands. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, so... It with if you uh, have classified those as the the most underrated, what would you say are the most overrated aspects of trumpet playing? The overrated, the high notes. Oh God, you know, I don't want to step on any toes, but you know, I'm seeing now that I've on oh, Facebook, what would we have done without Facebook during this kind of crisis? <laughs> Maybe learn something more. Maybe learn how to read a book. Okay. So, or cook a brisket. Oh, man. Oh, what was the question? What's, what do you think is the most overrated aspect of trumpet playing? Like, like, okay, like, like the high note. Everybody wants to hear the high notes. Okay. It's exciting. 
a high note on a trombone or a two, but not so exciting. On a flugelhorn, who cares? On a trumpet, well, who cares? Unless it's a really bright high note. And it's like, and now you see all these people on the Facebook playing these things. And some of them can't stand it unless they play a G above double C, you know. So I'm kind of kind of sick of it. Now, like, it just takes, there's too much, you know. Uh, you have so much of something and it's, okay, here's a good one. Um, the more you say, the less it means. That's a good quote. That's a great quote. Say, the less it means. Maybe I should have used that then. Whatever. Um, for a trumpet. The most overrated. It, it, I'd, I'd probably say, say uh, maybe that, you know, and you got to be, I have to be careful. You know, step on some toes and whatever. You know, this is the way it is. Some people and want, want to play the Carnival of Venice. You know what? I played the shit out of that thing when I was a senior in high school, when I should have been learning how to play a C7 chord. I can't play the Carnival of Venice now. The Arbans, you know, I can't play play that. But if I'd have been trying to learn my scales and arpeggios, it might be a lot better, all right? A big overrated thing, okay, etudes, people are playing etudes for the wrong reason. I'm seeing a lot of this on Facebook. Okay, listen to me play this and this and this. Well, that's great. A lot of my buddies out there who are going to say, oh, oh, no, he's wrong. Well, no, I'm right because these etudes are written not for the sake of the etude. They're to help you to learn how to play the trumpet better. So when you start having an etude as a goal, for the sake of that, it's wrong. You got to figure out the point of the etude and get on with it. I never practice a whole Charlier, at maybe the number two, you know, the, the ones that are really pretty or, or whatever. But a lot of these Charliers, if you just do part of it, that's, and you get through it, that's the point, okay? Um, but there's the musical, I mean, there's a goal to, to play a lot of these etudes through. There's there's a lot of benefits for doing that, but you got to know why you're playing that these these etudes, you know. And the fast notes, that's great. It's kind of like high notes. You're going to impress the crap out of some people on that. But when you get to the point to where you can't play musically, playing musically is really underrated. I see a lot of people on on the Facebook, and they're going this is me doing this. And a lot of them sincerely are asking for help. You know, yeah. what can I do? Well, this is me doing this there. And, uh, it sounded like, okay, you played the notes, but where's the phrasing and all that, you know, phrasing is underrated. Well, nuances, that's, I said, that's underrated. Um, but oh, overrated, you know, the, the, okay. The sensationalism, of what the trumpet can do. You know, if we can't play a Conconi lyrical study and make somebody feel from that, 
all that other stuff to wow people, it's not going to go as far as you might think. You know, and a lot of people just wowing themselves. Oh, yeah. yeah. Listen to me. Well, what do I do all day? I guess I sit in here and wow myself, right? You can go blind doing that. Now you can see. <laughs> I just, uh, no, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm with you 100% on that because, I mean, there's, um, you know, yes, technique is is important, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I tell people in martial arts the same thing, that, uh, you know, everything that, uh, you know, when you're learning stuff like this, it's, it's to help you be able to express what you want to express with less restrictions, yeah. So yeah, if you can, if you can play, you know, Clark two at 700 beats a minute, uh, then great. That means you've got supreme technical facility, but if you don't have a valid idea or if you don't have a valid intention or emotion that you're trying to express, then it's just, it's basically musical masturbation. So, um, that's it. Like that carnival of Venice. I reach my goal. And that's very important. I'm senior in high school. I'm going to put here. I'm going to go up one notch a day if possible. And by the time it's time, it's go. And yeah, man, I had that thing. But like I say, that's all I could play, you know, as far as anything, anything good. Yeah, well, I... Got to be able to play some lyrical stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. I've I've often uh, talked about, um, especially with with younger. Well, like I said, also because of my background in martial arts and and with musicians as well, uh, talking about the difference between uh, like uh, you know being someone who's technically correct and and you know having no feeling and maybe being a little sloppy, but having a lot of feeling. It's like, you know, if, if you could listen to a great guitar player who's got, you know, chops out the wazoo, uh, but all he's doing is just playing, you know, fast riffs. And, but you listen to B.B. King play, you know, two, three notes, and you automatically can feel what he's trying to get Lucille to tell you. So, uh, you know, it, it. You're right. But then there come a time. There come a time. Preach. I like to listen. Maybe not for hours on end. Listen to a little bit of uh, Megadeth and Metallica. Yeah. Because it's, I'm going, because for, for the reason that they can wow. It's like, how do they do that, you know? Um, and if it, especially if it's rocking out. I like to rock out some, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Then, then, then chill out on the, on the other end. Yeah. Man, do you remember the Dixie Dregs? Oh, Steve Morse? Get out. People have forgot about that. Oh, man. I, those guys couldn't even read. And they, what facility did they have? But when they fuck out on some ice cakes, oh, man, I still get a groove on that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was a band. That was... Uh, that was big when I was in uh, when I first started college. I mean, we were we were all listening to the dregs. So even in Ohio, uh, okay. So uh, let's think about this. Um, if you're able to go back in time, uh, what advice would you give your younger self about music? Oh, 
That's a good one there. To give my self-advice about music. In general or performance, whatever I come up with. Okay. The good trumpet player, the good musician, the good technician is going to be the smart trumpet player, okay? Work smarter, you know? Don't just clock in. The more we uh, uh, work with young people, um, the young people that want to be more than just in the club of band, you know, that want to get good is to um, practice smarter. Don't clock in. S they sit down and they uh, they grab a book. I don't think I'm playing this today. I'm practicing. Um, and they go, oh, well, well, I'm not getting any better. Okay, so as far as trumpet, in my younger self, I would have said, you need to find a routine that works for you and, and stick to a routine. Um, a lot of us have a warm up, and that's the only part of the routine that you have, you know. Or even if you do practice scales and arpeggios, have it planned out. How are you going to do it? How are you going to get to all, all of the keys? A routine is something that we take for granted. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But a lot of people don't get it. You don't, a lot of people do not have a routine. It's got to be, it's got to be a lifelong thing, you know. And it, it changes when you're in school. You'll have your routine. Oh, but if you don't know how to have a routine, when you graduate from the last degree that you were working on, you're out there and you don't, a lot of them don't have a job playing or whatever, and they don't know how to sustain themselves. You've got to have a routine that fits what style you want to play and you better be able to be able to do a little of all of it, you know? We all know that now, but it's yeah. gotta be more than just, I'm gonna play, oh, I think I'll play this today or play that. My routine, lasts an hour and 15 minutes. And every day I play, except I've had to chop wood or something, you know, weather, you know, things happen. It's an hour and 15 minutes and it's exactly the same thing every day, except it might be in a different key. And 12 days after I've gone through 12 keys, then I start over and it's the same thing every day. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I never never heard anybody explain it that way. That's really cool. And this is what's getting me through this this thing, you know. All my gigs, yeah, I don't have any gigs either. But I tell you what, when I'm sitting here and oh crap, you know, I know my routine. I can do that, and I'll sit down there and do it. You know, I I, I did most of it today before I had to start teaching. Everything and it starts with that G to C that Don Jacoby taught all of us at in Denton, Texas, about the air. 
and, uh, and that was <clears throat> 33 or four years ago. Yeah. That's establishing that base. That's, that's very cool. All right. So same thing. You get to go back and you get to talk to your younger self, but this time, what advice would you want to give yourself about life? <laughs> life. I've been, I've done pretty well on, on, on some of my things, you know, um, I've made my mistakes. Okay. But it's advice on, on life. Well, it's kind of like a, Mr. Rogers, be nice. You know, the three things, be nice, be nice, and be nice, okay? Um, and I've done, done pretty well on that, and I've, I've never really had many enemies. Um, not any really en enemies is button heads, but I've had some people do me wrong. Um, but not a lot. I just wanted to be everybody's drinking buddy, you know, back in, so to speak, you know, back in the day. And, yeah. and you know, now I just, I want to be, be the guy, not win popularity contests. I've, I've never done that, but be fun to hang with. Um, be nice. Don't be, we know what happens when we start talking about each other. It's going to come right back and to bite you in the ass 100% of the time. And least when you least expect it. When you think things are going great and something that will come right back about something you said, you know, that's a big deal. And I got buddies in New York, you know. Oh, yeah, he got a rep. He's not in New York anymore. He had to leave because talking about people, you know. You know, just be nice. Don't suck up. Don't want to be liked, but just be nice. Throw a smile out and a smile might come back to you, you know. Well, that is great advice, Mike. And, uh, you know, like you said, you are a good drinking buddy. You're a good hang. So uh, I want to thank you for giving your time today to spend with me and uh, to everybody listening. And uh, I, I got a lot out of this. I got a whole lot out of this. And um, if people want to find out more about you, what you're doing, where should they go? Well, there's the website, if anybody even looks at these things anymore. But I got a pretty good website. It's got a lot of YouTube on there, live performances with the Basie Band, and then some funny stuff down, down the line. I like my funny stuff. It's MikeWilliamsTrumpet.com. And then I have a Facebook page. It's a Mike Williams Clinician, Educator, whatever like that, you know. And... uh you can find me on that. Not doing any TikTok yet? Yeah, you, you're such a funny guy. I would expect you to be doing some TikTok soon. So ask your kids to teach you all about that. TikTok? TikTok. What is that? It's, it's the new big app. 
all these little videos, like these little, you know, short videos. Oh, well, I'm probably watching that stuff. You probably are. Just didn't know what you're watching. Some of them has, has me rolling, and then I'm yeah. ready to get out of bed and go start making lunches and telling people what to do. And well, <laughs> that's, that's, what I, that's what I see for you in the future. So anyway, Mike, thanks again for everything. It was great hanging with you virtually and look forward to the days that we can get together uh, yeah, it's in person. Conventions again, if they ever have those again. Hope they're not going to be virtual uh, online conventions. Yes, uh, and uh, I'm actually looking forward to uh, one of these days being able to enjoy some of your uh, your barbecue, so that that good old Louisiana style cooking. So put that on the list for show. All right, so thank you all for spending time with us today, and as always, peace and slide grease. We are out. Hey, thank you so much for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating connection through our mutual love for the trumpet life. I hope that you learned a few things about today's guest and had some laughs along the way. Don't forget to give us a review. We love those five-star ratings. And please share this podcast with your friends. We want to see our hang grow for show. Have a suggestion for a future topic or a guest? Hit me up at thetrumpetgurus at gmail.com. Our opening theme was written and performed by Lexi Signor, and all other music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. So in the words of W.C. Handy, life is like a trumpet. If you don't put anything into it, you don't get anything out. So go out there and let your trumpet sound, and I'll see you at the next hang.